Hello, my spooky babes, or my ghouls, goblins, and gremlins. I haven't decided which one I like best, so we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> and welcome to Around the Bong Fire, the podcast where we gather around the virtual campfire to get stoned and share stories, experiences, and talk about a wide range of topics. I'm your host, Kat. On this podcast, we'll explore everything from the paranormal, cryptids, haunted history, conspiracy theories, all things horror, music, and honestly, anything I feel like yapping about. Most days, it will be just you and I, my friend. I'm still trying to decide if I want to do a co-host or not, but currently I really like being by myself. I'm very introverted already, so with my other podcast, I'm doing interviews and stuff, so I feel like this is my little me thing, you know? And I get to talk about anything I want to talk about. I'm trying to decide if I just want this to be, like, a me thing or, like, I obviously want to have, like, guests on and stuff, but I think until I find, like, if I actually want to do that or not, until I try it, it's just gonna be you and I for a little bit but anyways back to what I was saying also another thing still trying to figure out if I want to do every week or every other week I'm kind of leaning on every week doing an episode and I really like them long so I'm trying to find things that are long to talk about I guess but we'll explore everything from haunted location unsolved mysteries conspiracy theories the dark and unknown and maybe something creepy that will make your skin crawl who knows so toast yourself and grab your favorite snack and join me on this adventure today. So I figured today we do my favorite conspiracy theory, which if you know me, you know my absolute favorite conspiracy theory involves the Titanic. And no, it's not the billionaires who went down and, you know, perished. We won't, we won't get into that right now. Sorry if you hear birds in the background. They're right by my fucking window. <laughs> they are loud as hell today. But yeah, I wanted to do the Titanic. So I gotta tell you how this is going to play out because if I don't, I feel like I'm going to get confused. So I'm going to mention a little bit of background information that wasn't in the movies so which if you watch the movie you know what happens we know what happens it sinks yeah we get it but it adds context for the conspiracy theories that I want to talk about which also always use your discernment okay do your own research if you would like don't take everything I say as the 100% truth I always encourage people to do their own research come up with your own conclusions this is just things I found also I'm going to read from the Britannica.com. I'm going to read two paragraphs like word for word just from these two parts of called the final hours and the rescue because those two as well add context to the conspiracy theories as well as I did find the court transcripts that I'm going to be reading only just parts. That's why I said if you want to look into it, go ahead. If you don't, I don't care either way. Just remember, I'm just doing this for fun. I'm just doing this because I want to talk about things I'm interested in and that is weird because I like weird things. Yeah, you don't have to you don't have to believe everything I say. And you can believe everything I say. It's not that deep. It's really fucking not, I promise you. So I'll read just what I had written up, just some important information I found that adds context. Then I will read the two paragraphs from the Britannica. Then I will read some of the court transcripts and then we'll read the conspiracy theories. Then we will talk about my two cents that no one gives a shit about. Let's get into it, shall we? Now we have to go back a little to the early 
1900s where the transatlantic passenger trade was highly profitable and with ship lines competing to convey the wealthy and immigrants. The two leading lines at the time were White Star Line and Cunard. Cunard, if you don't know, is the passenger liner who built the Lithuania. Okay, bear with me. I got dyslexia. I'm trying the best I can here. All right. And the Carpathia. Yes, the very ship that rescues the Titanic survivors. Now, White Star Chairman J. Bruce Ismay reportedly met with William Perry, who controlled the Belfast shipbuilding firm Harland and Wolf, which constructed most of White Star's vessels. Ismay and Perry worked up a plan to design a class of large passenger ships that would be known for their comfort rather than their speed. Together, they designed the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. The Titanic made her debut on May 31st, 1911, just one year before she took off on her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York, where they were expected to dock Pier 59. The Titanic featured an immense first-class dining saloon, four elevators, and a swimming pool. The second-class accommodations were comparable to first-class features on other ships and its third-class offerings, although modest, were still noted for their relative comfort. As for safety elements, the Titanic had 16 compartments that included doors that would close from the bridge so that water could be contained in the event the hull was breached. Although they were presumed to be watertight, the bulkheads were not capped at the top. The ship's builders claimed that four of the compartments could be flooded without endangering the liner's buoyancy. That system led many to claim that the Titanic was unsinkable. On board were a number of prominent people, including American businessman Benjamin Guggenheim, British journalist William Thomas Steed, and Macy's department store co-owner Isdore Strauss and his wife Ida. In addition, Ismay and Andrews also traveled on the Titanic. So now I'm going to be reading the two parts from Britannica.com and this one's relatively long so bear with me. I'm sorry but I promise you it had so much detail that I just I couldn't leave out anything all right this is the final hours it's on Britannica.com it's in the show notes throughout much of the voyage the wireless radio operators on the Titanic Jack Phillips and Harold Bride had been receiving iceberg warnings most of which were passed along to the bridge the two men worked for the macaroni company and much of their job was relaying passengers messages on the evening of April 14th the Titanic began to, to approach an area known to have iceberg. Smith slightly altered the ship's course to head further south. However, he maintained the ship's speed of some 22 knots. At approximately 9.40 p.m., Mazaba, and I'm pronouncing it right, (laughs) sent a warning of an ice field. The message was never relayed to the Titanic's bridge. At 10.55 p.m., the nearby Leyland liner Californian sent word that it had stopped after becoming surrounded by ice. Phillips, who was handling passenger messages scolded the Californian for interrupting him. Two lookouts, Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee, were stationed in the crow's nest on the Titanic. Their task was made difficult by the fact that the ocean was unusually calm that night because there would be little water breaking at its base. An iceberg would be more difficult to spot. In addition, the crow's nest binoculars were missing. At approximately 1140, at 400 nautical miles or 740 kilometers south of Newfoundland, 
Finland, Canada, an iceberg was sighted and the bridge was notified. First Officer William Murdoch ordered the ship hard a starboard, a maneuver that under the order system then in place would turn the ship to port left and the engines reversed. The Titanic began to turn, but it was too close to avoid a collision. The ship's starboard side scraped along the iceberg. At least five of its supposedly watertight compartments toward the bow were ruptured. After assessing the damage, Andrews determined that as the ship's forward compartments filled with water, its bow would drop deeper into the ocean, causing the water from the ruptured compartments to spill over into each succeeding compartments, thereby sealing the ship's fate. By reversing the engines, Murdoch actually caused the Titanic to turn slower than if it had been moving at its original speed. Most experts believe that the ship would have survived if it had hit the iceberg head-on. Smith ordered Phillips to begin sending distress signals, one of which reached the Carpathia at approximately 12.20 a.m. on April 15th and the Cunard ship immediately headed towards the stricken liner. However, the Carpathia was some 58 nautical miles miles or 107 kilometers away when it had received the signal and it would take more than three hours to reach the Titanic. Other ships also responded including the Olympic but all were too far away. A vessel was spotted nearby but the Titanic was unable to contact it. The Californian was also in the vicinity but its wireless had been turned off for the night. Now I'm not going to get into too much details on this second paragraph of this because it basically goes through everything we pretty much know about the Titanic and if you've seen the movie it literally depicts the scene of like there weren't enough lifeboats the order was of women and children first there weren't enough the although the Titanic's number of lifeboats exceeded the required by the British Board of Trade its 20 lifeboats could carry only 1,178 people far short of the total number of passengers the problem was exacerbated by lifeboats being launched well below capacity because crewmen worried that the Davids would not be able to support the weight of a fully loaded boat. The Titanic had canceled its scheduled lifeboats drill earlier that day and the crew was unaware that the Davids had been tested in Belfast. Lifeboat number seven, which was first to leave the Titanic, held only about 27 people, though it had space for 65. In the end, only 705 people would be rescued in lifeboats. Now, we all know, like, this was about the time that the musicians started playing and no, the musicians did not survive as well as First Officer Harold Lau. This is around the time he fired his gun amid the growing panic. It was a mess, obviously. You're in stress. What are you doing in that situation? Philip's distress call reflected a growing desperation as one noted that the ship cannot last much longer. This was by about 1 a.m. As the Titanic's bow continued to sink, the stern began to rise out of the water, replacing incredible strain on the midsection. At about 2 a.m., the stern's propellers were clearly visible above the water, and the only lifeboat that remained on the ship were three collapsible boats. Smith released the crew, saying that it's every man for himself. He was reportedly last seen in the bridge, and his body was never found. At approximately 2.18 a.m., 
the lights on the Titanic went out. It then broke in two with the bow going underwater. Reports later speculated that it took some six minutes for that section, likely traveling at approximately 30 miles or 48 kilometers per hour to reach the ocean's bottom. The stern momentarily settled back in the water before rising again, eventually becoming vertical. It briefly remained in that position before beginning its final plunge. At 2.20 a.m., the ship foundered as the stern also disappeared beneath the Atlantic water. Pressure allegedly caused that suction, which still had air inside, to implode as it sank. Hundreds of passengers and crew went into the icy water. Fearful of being swamped, those in the lifeboats delayed returning to pick up survivors. By the time they did row back, almost all the people in the water had died from exposure. In the end, more than 1,500 perished. Aside from the crew, which had about 700 fatalities. Third class suffered the greatest loss. Of approximately 710, only 174 survived. Subsequent claims that passengers in the steerage were prevented from boarding boats, however, were largely dispelled. Given Smith's failure to sound a general alarm, some third class passengers did not realize the direness of the situation until it was too late. Many women also refused to leave their husbands and sons. While the difficulty of simply navigating the complex Titanic from the lower level caused some to reach the top deck after almost half the lifeboats have been launched. Now we're going to get into the rescue, which again I'm reading from the Britannic. The Carpathia arrived in the area at approximately 3.30 a.m. More than an hour after the Titanic sank, lifeboat number two was the first to reach the liner. Over the next several hours, the Carpathia picked up all survivors. White Star Chairman Ismay wrote a message to be sent to the White Star's line office deeply regret advise you Titanic sank this morning 15th after collision iceberg resulting serious lost life further particulars later at approximately 8 30 a.m the Californian arrived having heard the news some three hours earlier Shortly before 9 a.m., the Carpathia headed for New York City where it arrived to massive crowds on April 18th okay so before I get into the trans like the court transcripts and shit I gotta tell a little story <laughs> okay because it's funny I promise it so I am so deeply enthralled with the Titanic for some reason I think it's just the thought is said like the unsinkable and it sank and it's just, like it to me to me when I was like like how I've always thought about it was it it could have been completely avoidable had they listened to the warnings of like hey wait till morning then get back on the fucking then you can skirt your way out of there right but instead they just wanted to be fast and get there on time get there that they didn't care they didn't care about the warnings they didn't have anything set in place and I think they knew and that's why I think it was an insurance scam but again we'll get into that but and so I'm so deeply enthralled with the Titanic that one time one time I was at a concert I was at my I was at a local show I was with you know my friend's band was playing and I was so violently stoned that like all my like a whole band like a band played a whole fucking set and I was so high that I disassociated and all my brain could process was that part the the splitting of the titanic like specifically like when it breaks in half um while castaways from the by the backyardigans 
was playing in the background like elevator music i don't know why i don't know why but that's <laughs> for some reason that's what my brain decided to cook up that day and i was so so invested in my brain because my brain was trying to figure out like how the fuck did it end up so far like my brain just couldn't process anything and I guess I like I I have like really bad resting bitch face or something because my friend Jordan was like he like moved a certain way and like he's like you good and I was like yeah I'm fine why and he's like you look pissed off and I was like oh no I'm just thinking about the Titanic sinking with castaways by the backyard again playing in the background and he's like oh okay it's like I was worried for a minute I was like no I'm good dude so let's get into the court transcripts here and I'm not going to read all of it because like I said we would literally be here for days like it would be it's just too much if you want to read it it is on titanicinquiry.org um I just looked up the court court transcripts and I found one but it was like, hey, you have to pay fourteen ninety nine to get all thousand um, pages, and I was like, that I'm not doing that. So um, I said no. <laughs> so I found the free version, and this is the free versions. This is the free version. So I found it. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna go through all of it, but I am going to go through the parts I do think are, um, pretty important, I would say. Um, I'm gonna stop for a second. So let's get into the court transcripts. I'm just gonna read just the kind of, imp the ones that add context. Like I said, you're welcome to go do, read this yourself if you care to read more. So Senator Smith, and this is between Senator Smith and Jabers and Ismay, which is, if you don't remember, the chairman of the White Star Line. So, Senator Smith, will you describe the trials she went through? Ismay, I was not present. She arrived at Southampton Wednesday the 3rd, I think, and sailed on Wednesday the 10th. She left Southampton at 12 o'clock. She arrived in Cherbourg. Hold on, I gotta Google that. Pff, I was not pronouncing that right at all. It's Cherbourg. Anyways, she arrived in Cherbourg that evening, having run over a 70, 68 re revulsions. We left Cherbourg and proceeded to Queenstown. We arrived there, I think, about midday on Thursday. We ran from Cherbourg to Queenstown at 70 revolution revulsions. After embarking the mails and passengers, we proceeded at 70 revulsions. I'm not absolutely clear what the first day's run was, whether it was 464 miles or 484 miles. The second day, the number of revulsions was increased. I think the number of revulsions on the second day was about 72. I think we ran the second day 519 miles. The third day, the revulsions were, were increased to 75. And I think we ran 546 or 549 miles. The weather during this time was absolutely fine with the exception, I think, of about 10 minutes, 10 minute fog one evening. The accident took place on Sunday night. What the exact time was, I do not know. I was in bed myself asleep when the accident happened. The ship sank. The ship sank, I am told, at 2.20. That, sir, I think is all I can tell you. I understand it has been stated that the ship was going at full speed. 
the ship had never been at full speed. The ship speed, the full speed of the ship is 78 revulsions. She works, she works up to 80. So far, I am aware she never exceeded 75 revulsions. She had not only her boilers on, she had not all her boilers on. None of the single-ended boilers were on. It was our intention, if we had fine weather on Monday afternoon or Tuesday, to drive the ship at full speed. That, owing the unfortunate catastrophe, never eventuated. Senator Smith, will you describe what you did after the impact or collision? Ismay, I presume the impact awakened me. I lay... I lay in bed for a moment or two afterwards, not realizing probably what had happened. Eventually, I got up and walked along the passageway and met with one of the stewards and said, what has happened? He said, I don't know, sir. I then went back into my room, put my coat on, and went up to the bridge where I found Captain Smith. I asked him what had happened, and he said, we have struck ice. I said, do you think the ship is seriously damaged? He said, I'm afraid she is. I then went down below, I think it was, where I met Mr. Bell, the chief engineer, who was in the main companionway. I asked if he thought the ship was seriously damaged, and he said he thought she was, but was quite satisfied the pumps would keep her afloat. I think I went back onto the bridge. I heard the order given to get the boats out. I walked along to the starboard side of the ship where I met one of the officers. I told him to get the boats out. Senator Smith, what officer? Mr. Ismay, that I could not remember, sir. I, I assisted at best I could, getting the boats out and putting the women and children into the boats. I stood upon the deck practically until I left the ship in the starboard collapsible boat which is the last boat to leave the ship so far as I know. More than that, I do not know. Senator Smith, did the captain remain on the bridge? Ismay, that I could not tell you, sir. Senator Smith, did you leave him on the bridge? Ismay, yes, sir. Smith, his first statement to you was that he felt she was seriously damaged. Ismay, yes, sir. Senator Smith, and the next statement of the chief engineer was what? Ismay, to the same effect. Now, this kind of goes back and forth. I'm not going to lie. It's like I was reading this. And I was like, okay. He just kind of basically Senator Smith goes like, is that what you said? Are you sure? All right. And it just, it just, yeah, it just goes back and forth. Um, and it just like says, oh, which suite were you in? You know, it just doesn't add contact, you know. So we're going to move on a little bit. So we're going to fast forward in this a little bit. So, Senator Smith, did I understand you to say that she exceeded 70 revulsions? Ismay, yes, sir. She was going 75 revulsions on Tuesday. On Tuesday? No, I'm wrong. On Saturday. I mixed up, I mixed up as to the days. Smith, the day before the accident, Ismay, the day before the accident. That, of course, is nothing near her full speed, Senator Smith. During the voyage, do you know of your own knowledge of your proximity to icebergs? Ismay, did I know that we were near icebergs? Smith, yes. Ismay, no, sir, I did not. I know ice had been reported. Smith, ice had been reported. <laughs> Ismay, yes. Smith, sorry, it's just... <laughs> Dude 
court transcripts are kind of funny to me sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Senator Smith, did you personally see any icebergs or any large volume of ice? Ismay, no, not until after the accident. Smith, not until after the wreck. Ismay, I had never seen an iceberg in my life before. Smith, you never saw one before. Ismay, no, sir. Smith, had you ever been on this so-called northern route before? Ismay, we were on the southern route, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just... This shit is kind of funny to me. The little sass. <laughs> Senator Smith, on this new Finland route? Ismay, we were along the southern route, not the northern route. <laughs> Smith, you were not on the extreme northern route? Ismay, we were on the extreme southern route from the westbound ships. Smith, what was the longitude and latitude of the ship? Do you know, Ismay? That I could not tell you. I'm not a sailor. I'm sorry. I can't. I, it's so fucking... Uh, Ismay has some sass, dude. Senator Smith. Okay. <laughs> Senator Smith, were you cognizant of your proximity to icebergs at all on Saturday? Ismay, on Saturday? No, sir. Senator Smith, do you know anything about a wireless message from the america to the titanic ismay no sir senator smith saying that the america had encountered ice on that latitude ismay no sir senator smith were you aware of the proximity icebergs on sunday ismay on sunday no i did not know on sunday i knew that there would be an ice be the ice region at the ice region that night sometime Senator Smith, would you be or were that you would be or were, Ismay, that we would be in the ice region on Sunday night? Senator Smith, did you have any consolation with the captain regarding the matter? Ismay, absolutely none. Senator Smith, or with any other officer of the ship? Ismay, with no officer at all, sir. I was absolutely out of my province. I'm not a navigator. I was simply a passenger on board the ship. Senator Smith, do you know any anything about the working of the wireless service on the ship? Ismay, in what way we had wireless on the ship? Sen Senator Smith, had you taken any unusual precautions to have preserved power for the wi for this wireless, Mr. Ismay? I believe there was, but I have no knowledge of that myself. And this just, again kind of goes back and forth a little bit that again ad knows like you know so we're gonna skip forward senator smith were these lifeboats on the various decks ismay they were all on one deck senator smith on what deck ismay the sun deck the deck above this indicating on diagram i do not think this is shown on i do not think it is shown on this plan senator smith that is the second deck above yours, Ismay. On this deck here, on the big plan indicating, which I believe he was indicating to, pointing to where at on the deck, obviously, you know. Senator Smith, on the sun deck, Ismay, yes, on what we call the sun deck or the boat deck. Um, Okay, so I don't want to keep saying, like, Smith and Ismay, so the ones asking the questions are Senator Smith, and the one answering is Ismay, okay? Hope hopefully that makes it easier going forward. So, Smith, 
How did it happen that the women were first put aboard these lifeboats? The natural order would be women and children first. Smith. Was that the order? Ismay. Oh, yes. Smith. That was followed. Ismay. As far as practicable. Practicable. I can't fucking say that word. As far as practicable. Smith. So far as you observed. Ismay. So far as I observed. Smith. And were all the women and children accommodated in these lifeboats? I could not tell you, sir. How many passengers were in the lifeboat in which you left the ship? I should think about 45. 45? That is my recollection. What was the full capacity? Practically. How about the other two boats? The other three, I should think, were fairly loaded up. The three besides the one you were in. Yes. They were fairly well filled? Yes. Were, was there any struggle or jostle? I saw none. Or attempt by men to get into those boats? I saw none. Were these women passengers designated as they went into the lifeboats? No, sir. Those that were nearest were nearest the lifeboat were taken in. We simply pit, picked women out and put them in the lifeboats as fast as we could. You picked them from among the throng. We took we took the first ones that we that were there and put them in lifeboats. I was there myself and put a lot in. You helped put you helped put some of them in yourself. I put a great many in. Were children shown the same consideration as the women? Absolutely. Did you see any lifeboats without its complement of oarsmen? I did not. Did you see the first lifeboat lowered? That I could not answer, sir. I saw the first lifeboat lowered on the starboard side. What was going on on the port side, I have no knowledge of. Smith. It's been initiated, Mr. Ismay, that the first lifeboat did not contain necessary number of men to man it. As to that, I have no knowledge, sir. Smith, and that women were obliged to row the boat. Mr. Hughes, that is, a second, that is the second lifeboat, Senator. Senator Smith, the second lifeboat, and that women were obliged to row the boat from 10.30 o'clock at night until 7.30 o'clock the next morning. Ismay, the accident did not take place until 11. Senator Smith, well, after 11.30 o'clock at night until 7, until 6 and 7 o'clock the next morning. Ismay, of that I have no knowledge. Smith, until the Carpathia overtook them, you have no knowledge of that? Ismay, absolutely none, sir. Smith, so as far as your observation went, would you say that was not so? Ismay, I would not say either yes or no. But I did not see it. Smith, when you first went on the deck, were you only partially clothed? Sir, that is all, sir. Ismay, that is all, sir. Smith, as I understand, you were you went as far to encounter an officer or steward. Ismay, yes, sir. And then and then returned? That is right. How long were you on the ship after the collision occurred? Ismay, that is a very difficult question to answer, sir, practically until the time, almost until the time she sank. Smith, how long did it take you to lower and load a lifeboat? Ismay, I could not answer that. Smith, could you approximate it? It is possible for me to, it is, it is not possible for me to judge the time. I could not answer that. Smith, were you on the Titanic an hour after the collision? 
Ismay. Oh, yeah. Smith, how much longer? Ismay, I should think it was an hour and a quarter. Smith, an hour and a quarter? Ismay, I should think that was it, perhaps longer. Smith, did you during that time see any of the passengers that you knew? Ismay, I really do not remember. I saw a great, I saw a great many passengers, but I do not think I paid very much attention to who they were. I do not remember recognizing any of them. Smith, did you know Charles M. Charles M. Hayes? Smith, Ismay, yes, sir. Smith, did you know of the presence of other Americans and Canadians of prominence? Ismay, no, sir. I knew Mr. Hayes was on board the ship. Smith, you knew who he was on board the ship, Ismay. Yes, I have known him for some years. Smith, but you did not see him after the accident occurred. Ismay, I never saw him after the accident, no. So this just basically, he wasn't there, da da da, da. So we're going to move forward again. So now we're going to get into the captain of the Carpathia, who, whose name is Arthur Henry Rosh. Restron. So let's just get into his statement and everything. So I'm not, again, I'm not going to read all the boring stuff. Like they just basically do like, who are, say your name, where you're from. We're not going to do all that, but he is the captain of the Carpathia. So let's get into it. We backed out from the dock. So, so Senator Smith, I wish you would tell the committee what occurred after that day as near as nearly as you can up to the present time. Mr. Restron, we backed out of the dock at noon on Thursday. We, pre- we proceeded down the river, the weather being fine and clear, and we left the pilot at the pilot boat and passed the Ambrose Channel lightship at about 2 o'clock p.m. I cannot give you the exact time now, because as a matter of fact, I have not looked at a single date or time of any kind. I have not had the time to do so. Senator Smith, I mean approximately. Mr. Restron. From that up to Sunday min- Sunday midnight, we had fine, clear weather, and everything was going without a- any trouble of any kind. At 12.35 a.m. on Monday, I was informed of the urgent distress signal from the Titanic. Senator Smith, by whom? Restron, by our wireless operator and also by our first officer. The wireless operator had taken the message and ran with it up to the bridge and gave it to the first officer who was in charge with a junior officer with him and both ran down to the ladder to my door and called me. We had only just turned in. It was an urgent distress signal from the Titanic requiring immediate assistance and giving me his position. The position of the Titanic at the time was 41 degrees 46 inches north and 50 degrees 14 west. I cannot give you our current position, but we were then. Senator Smith, did you give the hour? Mr. Rashawn, yes. 12.35. That was our apparent time. I can give you the New York time if you would rather have it. Senator Smith, yes. Please do so. Rashawn, the New York time was at 12.35. was 10.45 p.m. Sunday night. Immediately on getting the message, I gave the order to turn the ship around. Immediately I had given the order. I asked the operator if he was absolutely sure it was a distress signal from the Titanic. I asked him twice. Senator Smith, just what was that signal? Restron, I did not ask him. He simply told me that he had received a distress signal from the Titanic requiring immediate assistance and I gave him his position and he assured me he was absolutely certain of the message. In the meantime, I was dressing and I picked 
picked up our position on my chart and set course to pick up the Titanic. The course was north 52 degrees, west true 58 miles from my position. I then sat for the chief engineer. In the meantime, I was dressing and seeing the ship put on her course. The chief engineer came up. I told him to call another watch of, of stokers and make all possible speed to the Titanic as she was in trouble. He ran down immediately and told me my orders would be carried out at once. After that, I gave the first officer who was in charge of the bridge orders to knock off all work which the men were doing on deck, the watch on deck, and prepare all our lifeboats, take out the spare gear, and have them all ready for turning outboard. Immediately I had done that, I sent different departments, the English doctor, the purser, and the chief steward, and they came to my cabin. I then issued my orders. I do not know whether you care to hear what my orders were exactly. Senator Smith. Yes, we would like to hear them. Restron. As a matter of fact, I have them all written down here. We carry an English doctor, an Italian doctor, and a Hungarian doctor. My orders were these. Now I'm going to go through these orders. They are long, so let's get into them. These were the exact orders given by Mr. Restron. English doctor with assistance to remain on first class dining room. Italian doctor with assistance to remain in second class dining room. Hungarian doctor with assistance to remain in the third class dining room. Each doctor to have supplies of restoratives, stimulants, and everything to hand for immediate needs of probable wound or sick. Purser with assistant purser and chief steward to receive the passengers, etc. At different gangways, controlling our own stewards in assisting the Titanic passengers to the dining rooms, etc. Also to get Christian and surnames of all survivors as soon as possible to send by wireless. Inspector steerage stores and master at arms to control our own steerage passengers and keep them out of the third class dining hall and also to keep them out of the way and off the deck to prevent confusion. Chief steward that all hands would be called and to have coffee etc ready to serve all of our crew. Have coffee, tea, soup etc in each saloon. Blankets in at the gangways and some of for the boats. To see all rescued care for and immediate wants attended to. My cabin and all official cabins will be given up. Smoke rooms, libraries etc dining rooms will be utilized to accommodate the survivors. All spare berths in steerage to be utilized for Titanic passengers and get all our own steerage passengers grouped together. Stewards would be placed in each alleyway to reassure our passengers should they inquire about noise and getting in our boats out, etc. or working of engineers. To all, I strictly enjoyed the necessary for orders, discipline, and quietness and to avoid all confusion. Chief and first officers, all the hands to be called, get coffee, etc., prepare and swing out all boats, all gangway doors to be open, electric sprays in each gangway and overside, a block with a line rove hooked in each gangway, a chair sling to each gangway for getting up sick and wounded, pilot ladders and canvas ash bags to be at each gangway, the canvas ash bags for children. I may state the canvas ash bags were of great assistance in getting infants and children on board. Cargo falls with both ends clear, bow lines in the end and bites secured along the ship's sides for boat ropes or to help the people up heaving lines distributed along the ship's side and gaskets handy near gangways for lashing people in chairs etc forward derricks topped and rigged and steam on winches also told officers for different stations and certain eventualities ordered company rockets to be fired at 2 45 a.m in every quarter of an hour after to reassure titanic this is a copy of what i'm sending to 
our own company, Senator Smith. We would like to have you leave a copy of that with a committee if you can. Mr. Rashawn. Yes, sir. I shall do it with leisure. One more thing. As each officer saw everything in readiness, he reported to me personally on the bridge that all my orders were carried out, enumerating the same and that everything was in readiness. This was at 345. That was a quarter of an hour before we got to the scene of the disaster. The details of all this work I left to several officials, and I'm glad to say they were most efficiently carried out. Senator Smith, I should judge from what you say that you made 19 and a half knots from the same time you got the signal of distress from the Titanic until you reached the scene of the wreck or loss. Mr. Restron, no, it was 58 miles and it took three and a half hours. Mr. Euler, Euler, sorry, I'm not trying to make jokes of it. I just, I'm, I don't know I'm saying this right. Anyways, from 1235, 345, Restron, no. 345 is when they reported it to me. I have not got to the time of arrival at the scene of the action yet. I stopped my engines at four o'clock and I was then close to the first boat. Senator Smith, just proceed in on your way. Mr. Strawn, after interviewing the heads of departments, I went to the bridge and remained there. While I was up there, I made inquiries, making sure that all my orders were being carried out, that everything possible was being done. At 2.40, I saw a flare about half a point to the, on the port bow and immediately took it for granted that it was the Titanic itself, and I remarked that she must be still afloat. As I knew, we were long way off and it seemed so high. However, soon after seeing the flare, I made out an iceberg about a point to the port bow to which I had to port to keep well clear of. Knowing that the Titanic had struck ice, of course, I had to take extra care and every precaution to keep clear of everything that might look like ice. Between 2.45 and 4 o'clock, time I stopped my engines, we were passing icebergs on every side and making them ahead and having no, having to alter our course several times to clear the bergs. At 4 o'clock, I stopped. At 4.10, I got the first boat alongside. Previous to getting the first boat alongside, however, I saw an iceberg close to me, right ahead, and I had to starboard to get out of the way, and I picked him up on the weather side of the ship. I had to clear this ice. I'm at the scene of the action now. This is 4.10 with the first boat alongside. Senator Smith, are you picking up people now? Rashawn, yes. So like I said, I don't want to bore you with too much of this detail, but I do think this part I'm going to say is very important. Again, it adds context to everything. I promise I'm not, <laughs> I'm not feeding you dead information that's like, not information that's for, that's like, has no, it, it helps form. I promise. I promise. It adds context. So I'm going to skip a little bit. Senator Smith, do they have anything on their persons by which they could be identified so now we're getting now we're to the part where they have uh reached the lifeboats and they um picking people and everything mr sean no sir i'm only giving you the general news now we took three dead men from the boats and they were brought on board another man was brought up i think he was one of the crew who died that morning about 10 o'clock i think and he was the other three were buried at four o'clock in the afternoon senator smith at sea restaurant at sea Smith, did they have anything on the persons by which they could be identified? Mr. Rashawn, one of my own officers and the Titanic officers identified the bodies as far as possible and took everything from them that could be in the slightest clue or use. Nothing was left but their clothes. There were very little taken, of course, but as regards to detail, I cannot give you much. I have been way too busy. Senator Smith, you have not the names of these men? Mr. Rashawn, we have the names. Smith, you have not them here with you, Mr. Rashawn. I have not got them with me, no, sir. Smith, were they men or women? Rashawn, men. There were several ladies in the boat. 
They were slightly injured about the arms and things of that kind, of course. Although I must say from the very start, all these people behaved magnificently. As each boat came alongside, everyone was calm and they kept perfectly still in their boats. They were quiet and orderly and each person came up the ladder or was pulled up in turn as they were told off. There were no confusion whatsoever among the passengers. They behaved magnificently, every one of them. As they came aboard, they were, of course, attended to. My instructions had already been given to that effect. Smith. Captain, how many lifeboats were there? Rashawn. We had 15 lifeboats alongside with passengers in them. Of both types? Rashawn. Wait a moment, please. There were 15 lifeboats alongside. We accounted for those with passengers in them. There was one lifeboat that we saw that was close to the ship, but it had been abandoned because it had got damaged and was in a sinking condition. The officer had taken all the people out of that lifeboat and left it absolutely vacant. There was no one in it. It was empty. Senator Smith, what type of boat was it? Rashawn, that was a lifeboat. It had been damaged. Two burthen boats. Smith, collapsible boats? Rashawn, hardly collapsible. It is a flat raft boat with collapsible canvas sides, about two feet deep. Smith, to hold how many people? Rashawn, one of these lifeboats would hold 70 to 75 comfortably. Smith, how many of those were there? Rashawn, we counted for two. One of these burthen boats capsized. There was three. Senator Smith, as these boats were emptied and the occupants were taken aboard the Carpathia, what was done with the boats? Mr. Rashawn, the boats were kept alongside. But as I was looking more into this and thinking about it as I was recording, I'm realizing how much information I actually had because I'm already pretty long into it i i think it would be fun to stop here and start a part two because as i'm doing this i was like you know what i actually want to put in these survivors statements first second and third class and as i was like looking more into it there's quite a few fucking pages so alongside the conspiracy theories themselves i think it would make a good part two um if you are actually enjoying this and actually like wow this is good uh thank you but also i'm sorry you are probably fucking pissed right now but hey good content baby <laughs> but seriously though i'm sorry but the part two will be up a week after this and i really appreciate you listening and being here and being so nice <laughs> to listen to my voice about me rant about the titanic because i am oh, i just i love the movie like the movie is so good to me i don't know what it is every time i watch it i cry and i also like i have watched this movie so many goddamn times i can't begin to tell you the number <laughs> i've watched the titanic true story this was many 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 years ago they were rebuilding the second titanic and my mom was like hey what if i got us tickets like me and you because i know you're obsessed with the titanic let's let's go and i looked her dead in the eyes and i said how sweet i very much appreciate that however what if it sinks again and she's like it's not gonna happen and I was like, you don't know that. I think it was for their 100 year anniversary. And they were going to stop like where the ship sank. And I was like, that just doesn't feel right to me. I'm okay. I looked at her and I was like, don't they have like a museum or something in like Tennessee or some shit? She's like, well, yeah. And I was like, can't we just go to that? Like, why, why do we got to get on a boat? First off, I have a giant fear of the ocean because of the Titanic. Not to mention like shark attacks and everything. And I know some people are like, oh, but those rarely happen it's not gonna happen at all if I don't go near the ocean zero chance zero chance I'm just being that is their place that is where they live I don't need to be in there I need to be on land 
I don't have gills, all right? I'm cool with keeping my little piggies on the land, all right? Don't, I, I'm okay with never going in the ocean. Also, if you have claustrophobia and you are terrified of the ocean or water, like deep water in general, do not watch 47 meters down uncaged. And if you have, oh my God, oh my God, that was so anxiety inducing for me. Like slashers don't get to me. Gore, I mean, it, it can get to me. It makes me a little squirmish sometimes depending on what it is. But most of the time I work at haunts, as you know, so like I'm aware it's fake. I like special effects makeup. So that's why I'm into it. Like I love, I also feel confident in fake blood. I don't know what it is. I mentally, <laughs> I am on anti-psychotic. So explain so much. Anyway, but psychological thrillers don't get to me. But you put on like 47 meters down, I will probably not be able to sleep. I don't like the ocean. I'm okay with never going on a cruise. However, if the means of transportation were by a plane or a boat and you have to go overseas, like no other option, I would take a boat because my claustrophobia in planes, hell fucking no. At least with a boat, there's a slight possibility of being saved. All I'm saying. But this is going on too long. I'm ranting. Thank you for listening to my rants. I'm going to leave it here. And in the part two, like I said, we will get into next week. I love you. You're beautiful. I kiss. Good day.